This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on your power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. I'm Tim Eccles, Vice Chair of the Georgia Public Service Commission, and we're talking sustainability today. And I'm with Mike Goldberg on Tybee Island at one of the coolest container homes I've ever seen in the U.S. I'm going to hand my mic to, to Mike, and we're going to walk through his house, and he's just going to describe what's going on with this three-story container house. Welcome to Energy Matters, Mike. So we're walking up my stairs, nice, easy staircase, six-inch rise. Uh, preparing for getting old. Um, I took two containers, had a tiny lot, uh, put two containers 12 feet apart, uh, stuck just with my buffer zone or my setback on my property line, so I didn't have much room to work with. Basically, it's a one-story, 1,100 square feet, uh, 10 feet, 10 feet in the air. And uh, I've got another container on top to save my, uh, my square foot for all my mechanicals up top. Solar, battery, um, uh, hot water heater, air exchanger, all that. So the inside of the, and you just heard the door shut, the inside of the containers are all container walls other than the bathroom, shower walls, and the kitchen splash wall I tiled. Um, I did all my insulating on the outside. I did a, uh, tried to do like an envelope uh, insulated wall system so it breathes. I've got vents underneath the house that go all the way up to the, in, in between the beams of the roof. Uh, spray foam, spray foam insulation. Um, built up flat roof. Uh, so we're standing here in the main room. I got like a kitchen box on, on one side that's got the kitchen pantry room, just two little walls demarcating the pantry and then a mud room with a lift on the end. And then, uh, the bedroom container is bedroom, closet, bathroom, and then in between is all just living space and, uh, got a like a nine foot porch back here where the stairs come up and a little four foot balcony on the other side uh, where I'll have some spiral stairs. Yeah, I want to post some pictures, Mike, uh, of this. And so I'm I'm standing in this space in between the two containers and it's perfectly level here. Um, And you, you, I guess this is going to probably be your den. And then I, I see your, I see you've kind of repurposed an old door here, uh, which is neat. And then you've got this bathroom with a tile. Looks like you've got these, these, looks like you can individually heat each of these systems. Tell me about your, about your climate control system. So I was originally planning to have uh, uh, just a standard heat pump and uh, air exchanger with uh, venting going in between my beams. So I've got beams on two foot center, six by 12s, 24 feet long that, that cover the whole roof. They support the whole roof system. And so I was planning on all my utilities just being applied. But what ended up, uh, my heating and air guy sold us on the mini splits down here in this zone. Uh, they seem to be the most efficient. It, it didn't go with what I, I was expecting for venting and ducting, but it's, it, it'll do. So we've got uh, some, some ceiling uh, cassettes, they call, that are one on each end of the main living, the center living space. It's, and as Tim was saying, if you just stand in any one spot, you can see the whole house. So it's not like it's a, a designated, uh, other than the containers, designate bedroom, kitchen kind of area. 
You know, Mike, uh, we just recently interviewed Thomas Videcki from Atlanta United about their corporate headquarters in Cobb County. They used the mini split system as well, and he said it was it was more expensive up front for all the additional units, but they literally, and they had like 30-something units, they, they literally could you know, could, uh, you know, turn each individual room on, you know, from one dashboard on his computer. And so it gave him enormous control. Um, but, you know, Mike, what I'm impressed about, a couple things. One, the, the spray and foam insulation is superior. You're using that. I'm seeing LED bulbs here. I'm seeing a repurposing. Tell me about this door here uh, to your bathroom. So I've been in the salvage business all my life. So I've, over the course of, of working 40 years, I've amassed a little bit of uh, pieces of architecture that I kept for my own use, and uh, now's the time to use it. So we've got an old heart pine panel door here used for the bathroom door. I'll put a piece of frosted glass in there. Got some other... Uh, uh, doors, not maybe necessarily antique. Um, over here, I got a in the kitchen area where my big cutout is. I put an old uh, heart pine beam from one of the churches that burned down here in Savannah, and I had some old posts. I'll kind of uh, shape columns and painted uh, that are old. I'll put up on each end when I'm done with the floor. These beams that are holding up your roof, I mean, these beams uh, are are huge and uh, I mean do you feel like that that you I mean did you intentionally overbuild this or did you engineer it you know and you've got a lot of weight on top or I mean because they're beautiful they're exposed and they don't look pine I don't know are, are they another uh, another wood source actually I try to keep everything local so these are uh, local milled uh, southern yellow pine six by twelves 24 feet long and they continue on outside and uh, I guess eventually you'll see the the carvings that we put on the overhangs and then the porches are, are beam as well but all local grown southern yellow pine uh, here you know Mike it looks like you've made a little kind of I don't know whether we call this a barn door a sliding door push this sliding door maybe our listeners yeah Okay. Wow. You can't even hear it. So, okay. Yeah, you can hear you can hear this door. So Mike cut out part of the container and then made it into a door. And we're going to show you a picture of how this works. I know my daughter has a couple of doors like this in her house, but they're just old barn doors. They're not massive container doors. So Mike, how difficult was it to cut this piece out and then mount it and get it where you want it on the rollers? Uh, the mountain of the door was was easy peasy. I mean, there, there was no difficulty at all. So making of the door was actually at the uh, yard. Um, the people that handled the containers that were doing the, the renovation did the cutouts. And I just asked them to, to frame out in tubing what they cut out, um, which they end up framing in tubing as well. So the cutouts are framed out with... Uh, two and a half inch square tubing and then those cut out panels are then framed out with the same tubing. Just in our last couple of minutes uh, could you share with our listeners about the solar and any kind of renewable or sustainable aspects that your home will have in the future? Well uh, it got way out of hand with the budget so our solar idea at this point is 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 on hold but we always had planned uh, <clears throat> we'll go up on the roof and uh, and I'll show Tim what the uh, the mounting the roof situation for the solar panels would be. But uh, um, that was one of the shockers was to learn about solar and you know you understand that it's kind of expensive. But then when they explain to you that it's just when the power goes out and the sun's shining doesn't mean you have power. You got to have a battery. And the battery is what is the main thing about solar. And it's a, it's, it's a pretty big deal. So we're going to have to just wait on that and do it in the, in the near future. You know, Mike, what I need to try to get you is some of these scratch and dent panels that were damaged by the hurricane 
that are just sitting in a warehouse right now because probably from your perspective, I mean, nobody's going to see these things. It doesn't matter if they've got the aluminum cladding dented in or anything like that. And you could still, Mike, put the solar on it, even without the batteries, to be able to say that you've got solar on and you just keep it behind the meter. And so maybe you wind up powering, say, your hot water heater or one of these one of these Mitsubishi units, you you power it with that solar so that if you do have a storm uh, and you're behind the meter, uh, you will have power. Uh, and I know Georgia Power cuts solar to the grid and a lot of people are selling their power to Georgia Power. But if you're behind the meter and you wire this thing correctly, then you can keep, you know, you can keep a couple of these things running in the daytime, of course, not at night. But uh, I think it would be really cool. So I'm going to work on that for you. Okay. Sounds good to me. Mike, I want to thank you for being on the show today. If you want to see more about what Mike's doing, just check our Twitter feed at Matters Radio. I'll be happy to put you in touch with Mike if you want to build a container home or learn some of the lessons that he has from his work. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. Stick around. You're listening to Energy Matters. Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. GasSouth believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member-owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not-for-profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AmLaw 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, welcome to Energy Matters Live. I'm Tim Eccles, my co-host, Casey Boyce. Casey, how's it going? Hey, I'm good, Tim. How are you? I'm doing great, Casey. Uh, We're going to talk about some disruptive technologies today. In the first segment, we had Mike Goldberg on, and he's building a container house down on Tybee Island. And I had a chance to to take a look at that house, shoot photos. Uh, So if our listeners are interested, just check my Twitter feed at Tim Eccles, and you'll see more about that. But, Casey, disruptive technologies, that's not a new thing, is it? No, I mean, it's been around for a while, right? And these are technologies that fundamentally change the way that we live, um, you know, our, our health, uh, the way that business has done, things like that. Yeah, so we're going to talk about a number of them. And I want to start the show by saying that I was on Tybee Island over the weekend. I had a meeting with the mayor talking about sustainability, getting more solar down there, getting some electric vehicle chargers. They don't have any. Um, oh, that'd be great. And I met with um, uh, Nick, one of the city councilmen from Savannah. So it was a very productive 
time, one of the things I'm working on, Casey, down there is the Marine Science Center and helping mm-hmm. them with their renewable energy. Casey, as I well, I had not I have not spent much time on Tybee Island, and as I spent three days down there uh, over the weekend learned a lot about the island, that there was an army fort at the north end of the island, Fort Scriven, um, for for many years, phased out after World War II. But Tybee Island at one time, Casey, was a premier resort rivaling Cape May, New Jersey, and Ocean City, Maryland. I bet you didn't know that. I did not. That's very interesting. And Casey... What put Tybee on the map was a 17-mile railroad track that ran from Savannah to the island Uh and then down to the south end of the island with five stops. And it essentially connected to the central of Georgia system that was all over the southeast and allowed people to make Tybee their connection, essentially, uh, and go there by train. And Casey, so a lot easier to get to than some of the other. It was islands, it yeah. was really yeah. easy to get to. Now, at you know, at this time, Florida hadn't really been developed. The Flagler Railroad was in process, and that's that railroad that went mm-hmm. all the way to Key West. Uh, but so Tybee became not just a place to go and sunbathe. That's not really what people did back then. I mean, they went to this resort. I mean, Casey, there were 1,800 sea bath changing rooms, sea bath changing rooms. (laughs) That's incredible. If you arrived on the train, you would rent a sea bathroom. You would change, leave your stuff there, go enjoy the day, and then you would catch the train back maybe to Savannah or some other place in Georgia uh, that day. And so you couldn't change on the train. uh, And so... If you're there just for the day, it's not like you can just go in a public restroom. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of people on the weekend. And then they had these dance pavilions that served as picnic pavilions in the daytime. And then dancing, I'm talking formal chaperone-type dancing, um, three mammoth pavilions with named big bands from across America coming in on the weekends. They had wow. multiple opulent hotels. But Casey, along came the Model T in 1908, uh, the Model A in 1903, the Model T in 1908. And then people wanted to build roads. And when they built that road, they felt like, well, that's going to take care of it. That's all we need. And, and within 10 years, the train had been shut down. Uh, so uh, that train... Uh, had such an important role in their success. And, I mean, it, it's not just Tybee Island that was impacted by the, by the invention of the automobile. Obviously, uh, rail service all over was, in a, it was, was disrupted. But, Kate, sure. Casey, as we've kind of talked through this, what are, you know, go, kick us off with another technology in the past that has been substantially disrupted. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to one that's near and dear to our hearts and, and hopefully our listeners too, since they're tuning into this show. But but the grid, um, the largest machine uh, in the world, really. And think about what life was like before the electric grid came into place. So if you owned a manufacturing company, you had to be somewhere near water so that you could harness the power of water to turn a water wheel and work all of your machinery. So you think about like Lowell, Massachusetts was a, a place where, where they did that. Um, you know, if you're at home, you know, you might have gas light, you might be using candles, but not really great quality light. And of course, you know, they put off uh, smoke and indoor uh, air quality hazards. Um all of the the conveniences that we think of today, people didn't have them. Uh, you know, re- was recently reading about you know the the ice uh, delivery folks, right? They would come and bring blocks of ice even during the summertime and put them in people's refrigerators, right? So that that people could you know quote unquote refrigerators right at that point. So you know all of these things really uh, changed once you had the centralized uh, you know way of generating and transmitting power, and you could look locate your factory wherever and you could flip a switch and have the lights come on without any indoor pollution you could keep your food cold you could keep vaccines cold all of these things transform because of the grid what do you think tim yeah it's got it's got to be the most the electrification of america 
I think if you think about the 20th century, it's probably the greatest impact and still having an impact worldwide. Not everybody, Casey, has electricity in the world. There's still places where they ration power, plenty of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, when I, my wife was in the Peace Corps um, on a small South Pacific island, uh, I was in charge of the utility, and I use that word very loosely. Uh, the school that she taught at had a diesel generator that fired up. Uh, you know, I turned it on as it started to get dark, and it provided light for the kids to do homework. And then when they went to bed, I turned it off. Um, and that was pretty much the only electricity on the island. And, and everyone else used lamps and, uh, you know, oil lamps and things like that. It was a very different way of life. A friend of mine, uh, Alden Hathaway, I think you know him. He's been on our show yep. quite a few times. They uh, have a charity called Solar Lights for Africa, and they mm-hmm. have gone all over Africa targeting really orphanages and putting solar on there with some batteries and essentially giving them evening lights You know, for, for the first time. And Casey... It increases human pro- productivity if you have a light to work by, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, what do you think's next, Tim? What other disruptive innovations come top of mind to you? You know, the airplane, I think, has been disruptive to steamships, uh, to, uh, to to other forms of transportation, to, to trains, to cars. Certainly has had a significant role in military history. And you think about just, you know, World War One, World War Two, you know, and whether it's, you know, uh, German dominance, you know, b- because maybe they had superior planes, you know, in- initially uh, it, and just in- enabling us to, you know, to fly any anywhere in the world. Uh, in, and to me, it's done more for international commerce probably than anything. Yeah. And even domestic. I mean, I, I, back when I was able to travel, it always astounded me when I was able to do, you know, two meetings in, in different cities in the course of a day. Right. I mean, you start in Atlanta, you fly somewhere, do your meeting, fly somewhere else and then get home. And uh, I mean, it's a long day on the road. But the fact that you can do it's pretty astounding. Yeah. What do you think of the next one, Casey? I, you know, we were talking a little bit before we went live here. Um, telecom, I think, is is a huge change. And, you know, particularly now when all of us are not traveling due to COVID, uh, the fact that, you know, not only can we pick up the phone and talk to one another over long distances, pretty much anywhere on the world, um, but the fact that we also have computers enabling us to do these live streaming like we're doing, you know, right now uh, for folks to, to stream the radio show, uh, for, you know, students to be in school despite um, not being able to be there uh, in person. You know, I, I think about, what would have happened if the pandemic had hit, you know, when I was growing up in the the 80s and 90s, um, and it would have been very different than it is today. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, even just in the course of my lifetime, the telecommunications infrastructure and improvements has really been transformative the way that we live and the way that we do commerce. You know, I know that this is probably going to be thought silly by some, but it's one of my favorite inventions of all time. It's the the plumbing P-trap. Right. That pipe, Uh (laughs) that pipe that blocks sewer gas from coming back into your house and essentially was probably the most important thing about indoor plumbing. If we think about how much (laughs) we love indoor plumbing, (laughs) right, Uh, that would be a lot less pleasant otherwise. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think in a way, you know, that's disruptive because you've gone from an outhouse right to every single you know, every not every single home, but because there are still places, believe it or not, where they don't have, you know, indoor plumbing. But it certainly has been an invention that many people have benefited from. And in terms of hygiene and health, uh, and For I think sure. we know even more with COVID about that now, about how important that is. Well, Casey, always a lot to talk about with you. And Absolutely. <laughs> um, hey, send us a note. I'm at Tim Eccles. He's at... I'm at Casey Boyce. About your favorite disruptive technology and why. And, and uh, catch, us, uh, catch us for another segment uh, or always go to WGAURadio.com and listen live or ask your favorite podcast location to give you... Uh, Energy Matters with Commissioner Eccles. I'm Tim Eccles. He's Casey Boyce. You're listening to Energy Matters.
Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Tim Eccles for Marlin Gas Services. As the port continues to grow, more and more trucking companies are using natural gas in their trucks instead of diesel. Marlin Gas Services is helping to usher in this clean opportunity. With their specialized rigs, they create virtual pipelines with all the equipment and expertise to provide reliable, clean natural gas. Marlin Gas is the company that gas utilities, pipeline companies, and industrial facilities turn to. See MarlinGas.com for more information. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMVW Auto Sales. COVID-19 has changed everything, even buying a car. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, not only sanitizes every car, but you can buy it online and they'll trailer it to your home anywhere in Georgia and surrounding states. They've used electric cars, plug-in hybrids, and traditional hybrids. Check out the inventory at ev-hybrid.com. That's ev-hybrid.com. They have a three-day loaner period as well if you want to make sure electric works for you. Check them out at ev-hybrid.com. We interrupt this episode of Energy Matters to take you outdoors. On the road again. Hey, this is Commissioner Eccles with Energy Matters, and I'm on the road for another segment here uh, at the Georgia World Congress Center at the Smart City Expo. And I've got with me, because we talk about EVs a lot, I've, I've got with me from Green Lots, and you, you've heard that name if you, if you have an electric car, the Chief Revenue Officer, Jeff Tolnar. Jeff, how's it going? I'm great, Commissioner Alkills. How are you? We are having a great time on Energy Matters, and uh, I want to talk about just the future of charging, the future of electric transportation. You and I have just been on a panel where we've been talking about this dis- disruption of EVs. You projected 2027. I said 2032. But from your view at Greenlots, what kind of trends are you all seeing in charging, uh, and, and what have you learned about customers and cars through looking at your data? Yeah, the, the trends I, I think that are most important are if you would have looked two years ago, the activity was on the West Coast. We're seeing now substantial activity in the Northeast. Uh, we're, we're seeing more and more programs being developed and launched and even awarded in the Midwest. So one of, one of the latest programs that we're a part of is in Iowa. Uh, that's the heartland. That's an exciting part. So it's migrating from the coasts inward, uh, and those are less about level two, which would be the long dwell time charging and more about DC fast charging. So where you would be on the go, you'd need to top off. I have 20 minutes, I'll get an 80% charge, but also more and more high power. So we're getting more and more to the point where 150 kilowatt charging capacity and above. So you can get in a five to 10 minute range, a substantial charge. So that really does fit the on the go, on the go need out there. That That's one uh, one aspect that's changing. The, the other would be the vehicle OEMs. The, the vehicle manufacturers are all active now in electric. electric. Um, there's expected to be over 130 brand new EV lines launched by the end of next year. $300 billion. So the OEMs, it used to be, the, it, is it going to be the chicken or the egg with the EVs? Well, I think the eggs have hatched. And they're all going to start. They're all going to start waddling around over the next 12 months. That will give everybody choice, and that's what we really need. We we need choice from a low cost all the way up to a luxury capability, and and even uh, an F-150 equivalent electric. You know, I just came from a meeting earlier today where Cox Enterprises uh, announced, and they had announced this earlier, so I'm not talking out of school because uh, they are owned by our parent station, Cox Media. Uh, Cox Media Group and Cox Enterprises, they announced that they were investing about $350 million in Rivian. Uh, and a lot of folks may know the Rivian makes a truck. And as we think about kind of the next wave of customers that buy EVs, you got 
you know, ladies or guys who drive an F-150, who drive a Silverado, moving over to an electric vehicle, that's going to be huge, isn't it? Oh, it is. Uh, and it's not just the traditional OEMs. Uh, you're, you're right. It's companies like Rivian, and we're seeing more and more of those pop up all over the place around the world. And again, it really is about providing choice from all the way from an entry-level vehicle to a luxury vehicle, and in all aspects, up to the large, heavy-duty trucks, down to, we talked about scooters today, and we talked about uh, electrified bicycles. And really, it's the, the electrification of mobility. Uh, so it's, it's more than just an electric, electric vehicle anymore. You mentioned about vehicles uh, needing a stronger charge, more, more amps, more power. I think that's where, uh, that's where it's really going to get on the radar of my commission at the Georgia Public Service Commission and a lot of other commissions because we're talking about significant use of the grid. And, and needing to get a lot of power, you know, to these 20 buses or these 200 buses simultaneously. And that's going to re- require more wires and more transformers. Talk a little bit about that infrastructure and why that's, why that's important for us in the future. Well, it's essential. Uh, the, the grid has developed over the last 100 years to serve the purpose of household electrification, Um, running your refrigerator, uh, things that have been around for a very long time. Now, electric vehicles have a load that's greater than all of those other elements and maybe even all of them combined. Uh, So it will double or triple the needs of electricity on a per-household basis once we go to a full electric future. So with that in mind, the grid has been in place with... Substantial generation capacity, substantial transmission capacity, but the distribution aspect of the grid has, I won't say lagged behind, but it's not where the spend has gone over the last 10, 20, 30 years. So that's the transformers, the wires you see down your streets, the wires that are underground that are serving you. How many times do you have an electrical storm and things start to pop? Well... You're going to see more and more things pop as more and more vehicles start to need a charge. So the, the utilities are becoming more proactive in replacing infrastructure where they know it's occurring. Uh, the key to them is where, where is the charging going to happen? Uh, it's popping up like popcorn. So what we have to do as an industry is we have to work arm-in-arm arm with the utilities to provide them visibility into where the charging occurs allow them time then to upgrade their infrastructure accordingly so we don't have uh, loss of power, loss of energy, safety issues. Uh, and, and we're all aligned there from every, every constituent that, uh, that we have out in, in the city and in, in the states. From a public image or a public relations standpoint, we can't afford for electric vehicles to be blamed for this kind of thing. I mean, in Georgia, we have a hard enough time convincing my Republican colleagues that electric vehicles are good for the grid, good for the public interest, and, and worthy of investment. If these vehicles are causing outages and inconvenience, that's the last thing we want to do. I think that's why it's really important for us to get ready to be able to do this. Uh, Certainly the results going to be cleaner air, going to be a a quieter experience. You know, it's going to be vehicles that last a longer period of time, lower operating costs. What are some of the other benefits that you're hearing from around the country as you talk with seasoned electric vehicle owners? I think what I'd focus on are the misconceptions. Uh, Some of the misconceptions I've heard are uh, EVs are not as performant as uh, internal combustion. Well, that's not the case. When you step on the gas gas pedal or the pedal of an EV, it performs. Uh, when you try to pull a load in, an, in the electric F-150 equivalent, uh, there, there's been a, a recent uh, advertisement that you're, you're pull, they can pull three train cars uh, with an, an electric F-150. So the, the fallacy of performance is not the, it's just not true from an EV perspective. I think the, the second is total cost of ownership. Um, in 2020, it's expected that EVs will be at cost parity with the equivalent internal combustion. And then we also have to consider what's the cost of ownership. There's only a few hundred moving parts in an electric vehicle, whereas in, in my car, 
gas-powered car, there's a few thousands, thousands of parts. Well, the likelihood of something breaking goes way up. Fueling it via electricity is lower cost than fueling it via gas or diesel or, or the other means. Fueling costs are lower, operational costs are lower, and the upfront costs are now at parity. I was recently in Berlin, in Munich, uh, on a, a study trip with the Renewable Energy Academy. And one of the surprises to me is that, that Germans uh, aren't that interested in electric vehicles. That, yeah, their companies are making them, they're shipping them to China, uh, but there, there seemed to be some resistance there regarding buying something that had as its major component uh, a battery that was made in China, Japan, or Korea. Uh, and a resistance in giving up that internal combustion engine that they've taken so long to perfect. If you think about Porsche, Audi, Volkswagen, Mercedes, BMW, you know. So, I, you know, I look, I, I look at California really as the leader of the world when it comes to electric vehicles. You've traveled, you know, wider than I have and seen more vehicles than I have. What, what do you see on the horizon for, you know, for EVs in in, in California, in America, in Germany, and across the world? I think the exciting thing for me is innovation. I love innovation. And it's it's normal that one country will lead another. Eventually, all countries get to a common place. It just takes time. Um, and, and there are cultural dis- differences and aspects. What I find exciting is the electrification movement is being coupled with autonomy and autonomous vehicles and changes in logistics and efficiency. And when I look at autonomous, it doesn't really, it doesn't scare me that people won't be driving a car, the car will be driving itself. I look at autonomous as a transition over time. It will make it safer, more predictable, and it will also drive things like ride sharing and fewer cars on the street and flexibility and I don't have to spend capital on a car I can I can use a car buy the drink whenever I need it and go where I need to go and so autonomy to me is also autonomy and availability of that resource for me as a as a, as a homeowner uh, I may not need two cars in the future I may need one uh, I may need none so I, I really think it's the coupling of electrification with autonomous improvements in safety, improvements in efficiency, and overall improvement in the environment and, and, and emissions that come along with it. And there you have it, right here from the World Congress Center. Thank you very much for this interview today, Jeff, and good luck with everything that Green Lots is doing. Sure. Thank you. Take care. This is Tim Eccles with Energy Matters on the road. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com. ev hybrid.com Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Better Tomorrow Solar. Imagine a world powered by sunlight. Imagine your home powered by sunlight. Better Tomorrow Solar has a passion for helping you see this for yourself. They've worked hard to overcome the chief obstacle to solar adoption, its initial cost. In some cases, they can install your solar panels at no cost, then charge a predetermined, stable rate for the energy used. In other cases, Better Tomorrow Solar has creative ways to finance the installation so the monthly pay are lower than the energy savings. Find out more at bettertomorrowsolar.com. That's bettertomorrowsolar.com and see how you make your world better. 
This is Tim Eccles with another segment of Energy Matters. Here with my friend Eric Tannenblatt, who works for Denton's. Eric, tell me a little bit about what you guys uh, are doing over there in your shop. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Well, Denton's, as, as you know, most people know, is the world's largest law firm. And uh, I lead our global public policy and regulatory practice. But in addition to that, I lead our autonomous vehicle practice. And we have about 85 partners all over the globe that are working with companies that are in the autonomous vehicle ecosystem. So whether they're auto manufacturers, security companies, fleet management companies, because it's a space that is continuing to grow and something that we're going to be hearing and seeing more and more about. Why is it important for a law firm to be involved in autonomous vehicles? I think folks think about technology, car manufacturing. What's the legal nexus of this? Sure. Well, there's a lot of regulatory issues. You know, historically, the federal government has handled the regulations and laws surrounding the safety of a vehicle, and state governments have handled uh, the regulatory and, 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 and laws surrounding the actual driver. Well, in the case of autonomous technology, the car is the driver. And so uh, this is a, a whole new area, and there's going to be a lot of legal and regulatory issues uh, at all levels of government. Right now, the federal government has yet to pass any legislation to deal with autonomous vehicles. There was legislation that was pending in the last session of Congress, but it didn't pass. Uh, and so you have this patchwork of laws around the country right now in the United States. Uh, a lot of it is surrounding testing of autonomous vehicles, but states like California, which is highly regulated, uh, have have actually you know gone a, a little bit further. And so uh, at some point, the federal government is going to need to step in because you know autonomous vehicles are, are going to happen, and uh, you know you can't uh, stop at the state line and say, okay, well, what are the laws now in this particular state. And so I think you're going to see the federal government get more actively involved. To that point, if you're in Georgia and you're driving autonomous, and you're in an autonomous vehicle and you're going down I-75, but you're going to get off and see your grandmother out in, you know, out in, you know, in, in rural, you know, Montezuma, Georgia, how important is it that those counties, all 159 counties in Georgia, get ready for this and how do you how do you go about convincing someone in a very poor county that this is an important expenditure of taxpayer money yeah, well, that's a that's a good question, and and to comfort everyone, it's not going to happen uh, anytime soon in terms of the next year or two. I think we're several years away from seeing autonomous vehicles, you know, in the main uh, throughout Georgia and, and some of the rural counties. Um, you know, I think you should also look at electric vehicles. You need to talk about that because autonomous vehicles are all electric vehicles, and as we're seeing. We still have a lot of electric vehicle infrastructure that needs to be built out uh, throughout the state. And you're starting to see more and more auto manufacturers move towards electric vehicles because, as, as you know, Tim, uh, you know, we're only, you know, probably less than a decade away from where electric vehicles are going to be cheaper than combustible engine vehicles. So we're moving in that direction. Um, but with regards to autonomous vehicles, I think the more we could get autonomous vehicles out there and test those vehicles so that the public gets to see them, the more comfortable they're going to get with the technology. I think the biggest challenge right now is public acceptance. It's sort of the fear of the unknown. And that's why I've been so bullish about uh, autonomous vehicle testing, because I think the more people can see that this, these are actually, um, this is actually a valuable mode of transportation, the more comfortable they'll be when they're actually out there for people uh, to use. And I think that uh, with building out electric vehicle infrastructure, with autonomous vehicle fleets rolling out, and that will start probably in urban centers first, but it'll move across the country. You know, we're here at the Smart Cities Expo in Atlanta, and one of the um, exhibitors is a company called Enride from Sweden, which has a autonomous truck, and there's no cab, uh, and it runs on the highway. And I think that autonomous trucks is probably something that we're going to see before we see autonomous cars uh, commercialized. And, you know, a state like Georgia, which is such a big 
um, logistics state, you know, with the Savannah port and the Atlanta airport, uh, there's a lot of freight that goes on our highways. So I think, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we don't see in the next few years the testing and, and deployment of autonomous trucks on our highway. You and I are both Republicans. I'm a statewide constitutional officer, and you've worked for a U.S. senator and for a governor. We've seen our colleagues really embrace solar over the last five years. Uh, a, a 10x drop in price over the last dozen years. And it is projected that with the similar reduction in battery prices, that this is what's going to allow these electric vehicles to do, as you've said, to actually become cheaper than ICE internal combustion engines. Do you anticipate our Republican colleagues having a similar heart change towards electric vehicles that they have had towards solar? Well, you know, Republicans are free marketeers, and I think the market is going to demand it. I think consumers are going to demand it, and I think the more information that gets out there, uh, I think people will 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 come around. Um, you know, the if you look at the auto industry right now, I mean, you have auto man. Some auto manufacturers are no longer producing combustible engine vehicles, and they're moving towards only electric vehicles. And so, I think the the market's going to drive us that way. I think that. Uh, you know, Republican lawmakers are, are, you know, believe in the free market and consumers are going to demand it. One of my duties with my colleagues is to regulate the utility, Georgia Power, and make sure they have the funds to do the things that they need to do in the direction. And as we, uh, as, as we get into our rate case, which we do every three years with them, one of the things that I'm looking at is the infrastructure to charge a lot of vehicles simultaneously. I'm not talking about Nissan Leafs or Teslas here. I'm thinking of bus fleets, truck fleets, Amazon Prime vans that might be electrified, and the the importance of all of that electric infrastructure that needs to be on the pole and at the transformer level, expensive infrastructure. How important is it that the utility be given what they need in order to be able to prepare for this coming EV revolution. Yeah, I think it's very important, and I think, you know, we're fortunate to have a company like Georgia Power that is very forward-thinking, and I think they recognize that this is happening and this is coming. And so I'm hopeful that, I know I know where you are, but I hope that your colleagues on the on the PSC also uh, understand that this is the way things are moving, and, you know, it's, it's y'all's responsibility to make sure that, you know, we're prepared for the future, and that's obviously working with our state utilities. Are you seeing more and more companies like UPS, Amazon, others that have an Atlanta footprint begin to talk about their uh, conversion over to electrification? Uh, what, what kind of conversations are you having uh, you know, with, with these type of companies? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, I think it was not too long ago that I uh, read that UPS bought some Tesla trucks. Uh, for some of their uh, delivery. And so I don't think you can be uh, a company in the logistics business and not be looking at the technology, uh, both from an electric vehicle standpoint and from an autonomous vehicle standpoint. You're starting to see there's a company called Nero that's doing, you know, grocery delivery. Kroger has, I I believe it was Kroger, entered into a uh, partnership with them. And so you're starting to see whether it's Domino's Pizza looking at delivering pizza through autonomous vehicles. They're actually testing it in uh, Miami uh, right now. And so I think you're seeing more and more of that. You know, as you think about challenges that are ahead of us, I know that you work closely with the legislature and with my Republican colleagues and the leadership in Georgia, and we've talked about that. But the city of Atlanta, uh, which is democratically run for the most part, uh, you know, a city like Atlanta really is the place that all this is going to begin. What are some things that you think that it needs to happen in the city of Atlanta to prepare for this? Well, I, I, I want to applaud the, the mayor, you know, but even before she was mayor, when she was on the city council, she was responsible for sponsoring the, uh, you know, the ordinance that now requires electric vehicle charging in new development. And I think that's one thing that, uh, you know, city leaders can do is to continue to build out the infrastructure. I think there's also going to need to be uh, changes made to some of our zoning laws as it relates to ride sharing. If we talk about, you know, in the future having autonomous fleets, 
Um, you know, you're going to need places to drop people off or to pick people up. And if you have uh, autonomous fleet vehicles, you're not going to need uh, parking spaces. And so, again, right now there's a requirement of a number of parking spaces that's needed for any new development. Well, if you move to a society where we have autonomous fleets that are constantly running, you know, that will take away the need for all the parking lots and parking decks, which will allow for more green space or more opportunity for economic development. So there's a lot that the cities can do. And as you acknowledge, I think things as it relates to autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles, I think they're going to start in the urban centers. I mean, Atlanta being one. But I think, we you know, we should also look at the other large metropolitan areas throughout Georgia, Savannah, Augusta, Macon, Columbus, Albany. I think all of those metropolitan centers, you're going to start seeing this technology uh, take hold. Just in our final 30 seconds, if folks are interested in knowing more about this, I know you do a Friday newsletter. How can folks get on that uh, subscription list and where would you recommend they go? Yeah, they can go to driverlesscommute.com. We, uh, the driverlesscommute.com. We have a, a blog. Uh, not only do we publish a weekly newsletter, but we have a, a running news feed of stories in the autonomous vehicle space from around the globe. And we also post some interesting articles about things that are happening in this whole ecosystem. It's very exciting. Well, it's been great having you uh, with me today. Thank you very much, Eric. Glad to be here. Thanks. This is Tim Eccles with Energy Matters on the Road. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com. Solarsunworld.com. Come.